Thank you, Diane, for reminding us of where we are. We are truly in the presence of Jehovah this morning. You see standing before you this morning a walking miracle. December the 8th, 1996. I gave my life to the Lord at 38. Then four years later, he called me into the ministry and this morning kind of reminds me of the beginning of our ministry, mine and Diane's. As I began our ministry and felt the call to preach before I took my first pastorate, I supplied in a lot of different churches, and a lot of them knew Diane and knew the talent that she had to sing. And uh, they would call me and say, Brother Bell, can you come preach for us this next Sunday, but can you make sure your wife comes to sing? <laughs> and so... We, uh, we traveled as a team. We went together into this ministry just grasping for everything that God would use us for. You also see standing before you a miracle this morning because I'm preaching here at Bristol Baptist Church and guess what? I'm not even six foot tall. <laughs> that's, that's a miracle here at Bristol. And, and also because I, I got born again on December the 8th, 1996, Although I look to be 64, I'm really only 25 <laughs> because I got reborn. I got a new birthday that day because God looked down into this world and into my sin-filled life and said, I want to save you, and he did. The title of my message this morning is No King in America. I was inspired by Brother Eric's message a few weeks ago about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And he mentioned that morning that they were living in the conditions that they were in because as Judges chapter 21, verse 25, and you could be turning there if you want to, Judges verse 25 of chapter 21, it says in that verse that there was no king in Israel. And I began to think about that, and, and this was before I even knew that I was going to be able to preach here this morning. God began to lay a message upon my heart, a message that we in the church of America, we need to hear this message. He began to put scripture together in my mind and other things, and I fought it. I really did for several weeks. I said, Lord, you, you really don't want me to preach that, and then I just kept getting confirmation after confirmation after confirmation from different people. They didn't even know what I was going through, and they would confirm that this was the message I was supposed to bring this morning. No king in America. So if you have found Judges chapter 21, if you would, let's stand this morning. I want to read just one verse to, begin, to get us started this morning. Judges 21 verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you this morning. We thank you for the songs that we have been able to sing. We thank you for this time of year, Lord God, that we celebrate your birth as you left heaven and came to earth to live among sinners such as I, that you might live a perfect life, that you might die a perfect death, that you might rise again that third day so that through the faith that even the faith that you provide, 
we can be saved for all of eternity. We just thank you so much for that. And Lord God, I pray that you would help us to forget about everything that has happened this last week, that we would forget about all of the plans that we have for the coming week. Lord God, that we would be honest with ourselves this morning as we go through your word, and more importantly, that we might be honest with you this morning, that you might touch our hearts and convict us where we need convicting, and let us praise you, Lord God, this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So what was wrong What was wrong with Israel here as we read about her this morning? Well, if you remember back when Israel was moved out of Egypt by God so that he could have his nation and get them started doing all the things that he wanted them to do for him, after they were delivered, you remember they went out and God called Moses to the mountain and God gave Moses a a list of commandments. But then if you read a little bit further, you also find out that he didn't give him just commandments, he gave him ordinances and statutes that the nation of Israel should follow them. And these commandments and statutes and ordinances, they weren't put given to Israel to be a chain around their neck. They were given to them to be a blessing to them. They were given to them so that they would multiply, so that they would prosper, so that the plagues that God had placed upon Egypt would not affect them as they traveled. And If you read through scripture, you find out that Israel did pretty good for a while. However, after the 40 years was over, and then after they went into the promised land, and as God delivered the promised land to them, and you have to remember now, I don't know if you know this, but Israel did not take complete control of the land that God had given them. There were some places in there that they would not go. There were people there that they would not offend by going in and killing them. And so because of that, they had intermarriage. They were disobedient. Because of the intermarriage, the nation of Israel began to worship the idols that these, false, that these other nations and other peoples worshipped. They began to worship the false gods that those nations and those peoples worshipped. And so as we read here in Judges, we find this verse lets us know that Israel, the Hebrew people, God's chosen people, they were in anarchy, spiritual anarchy. They had decided, it tells us here in the scripture, that they were just going to do whatever was right in their own eyes, whatever that might seem to be to them. It's, it's, like, it's, it's kind of what we call in our world today relative truth. There's no absolute truth anymore. Now there is absolute truth. If you want to find it, all you got to do is open this up. This is absolute truth. But our nation, our world, today wants to live by relative truth. And you say, well, what is relative truth? Well, relative truth is to say that whatever I think is true is true. Whatever Brother Allen thinks is true is true. It may not be the same for you. And our world is living like that today. And some of the things that God placed on my heart to say this morning, when you leave here today, I hope you don't say, well, he stepped on my toes. Because God was aiming at our heart. He could care less about our feet. He wants to touch our hearts. Because that's where we're changed. That's where he molds us and makes us into those creatures that he desires for us to be. I 
along with many other Americans today, believe that America today is living in spiritual anarchy. And it didn't start last week. It didn't start 10 years ago. It didn't start 20 years ago. I remember my pastor that was preaching when I got saved in 1996. He used to say all the time that what one generation does in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. Because they see that that last generation got by with what they were doing. And our country's done. And it's not, let me read something to you that came out a long time ago about this. Back in 1928, almost 100 years ago, there was an editorial written in the Wall Street Journal. And let me read what it says. What America needs today is not government controls, industrial expansion, or a bumper corn crop. America needs to return to the day when Grandpa took the team out of the field in the early afternoon on Wednesday in order to hitch them to the old spring wagon into which Grandma put all of the children after she washed their faces shining clean. And they drove off to prayer meeting in the little white church at the crossroads under the oak tree where everyone believed the Bible, trusted Christ, and loved one another. Now, I truly believe, and there are people out in our world today, even some that that say they're Christians, and I'm not doubting what they say might be true, that, that they might be, but there are people in our world that don't believe that God's nation of Israel is still His chosen people. I'm one of those that believe that. The church did not replace the nation of Israel. We're to come along beside her. So I believe that the nation of Israel was established, it was founded, it was settled, that the nation of Israel would be a blessing upon the entire world. And they have been. The problem is that a lot of the world has not seen the blessing that God has for them through the nation of Israel. I also believe that God established and founded and settled and blessed the United States of America that we might be the greatest nation in the world, not just to be the greatest nation in the world, but that we might be the greatest nation in the world to take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world to other people. And yet in America, we're failing on that front. America was founded upon the word of God. It was founded upon the truth of God's word. It was founded upon the integrity in God's word. It was founded upon the morals of God's word. As a matter of fact, a lot of the laws that we have in our land today is based, they are based upon the Word of God. However, just like the nation of Israel got so big and got so proud and got so boastful that they pushed God off to the side, I truly believe that America's at that point too. They say, oh, we can do whatever we want to. We can do everything for ourselves. Whatever we desire in our hearts, that's what we we can do. And the governments of the worlds have gone against the Lord God and His blessings upon not only all the nations of the world, but upon America itself. I want to read you, if you want to turn with me, turn to 2 Psalm, Psalm chapter 2. I'll read a few verses out of there. 
Psalm chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But then listen to what it says in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. No, we have become the greatest industrial nation in the world. We have actually sent men to, to the moon and back. But, but I really believe that as we do that and as we have become so arrogant and so prideful in the things that we think we have done, we have forgotten, just like the nation of Israel, they forgot that God is the one who had delivered them from Egypt. They forgot that it was God who went before them into the promised land so that everyone that they faced would fall before them. I always thought about it like this, that God said, I'm going to go in before you and I'm going to defeat them. All you got to do is come in and sweep them on the rug. Well, the nation of Israel forgot that. America has forgotten that God is responsible for all of the blessings we have. God is responsible for all the intelligence we have. God is responsible for all of the exploration and other things that we might do. God has given us those things that we might use to glorify Him with, and we've forgotten Him in America. But I look at it like this also. It says that the one who sits in heaven laughs at us. I think when we went out to the moon and back and came back, God said, you didn't do anything but go out to the mailbox. <laughs> That's all you did. But we're at that point that we've forgotten who God is. And, and I want to give you a few statistics. I, you may be like me. I, I hate statistics. But sometimes they're good for us to listen to so that it, it brings my point out to where we're at in America. According to the FBI, from 2000 to 2018, the number of total murders actually went down. But what we decided to do, everybody decided they'd do what was right in their own eyes, so what we did was we changed the method. There have been more, uh, what do they call those, um, active shooters now in America than ever before. And the number of murders by firearms has gone up even though the number of murders total has come down. Also, between 2000 and 2018, the number of rapes per 100,000 women has gone, gone up 18%. I hate to tell you, ladies, this, but if you're a woman in America today, there's an 18% chance that you may get raped in your lifetime. That's a sad state that people are doing whatever's right in their own eyes. It doesn't matter... Who else it affects? According to the Addiction Center, alcoholism and drug addictions are both at an all-time high in America. And 2020 was the deadliest year for alcoholism and drugs in all the history that they've been studying this problem in our country. According to the U.S. Census in 2018, 9% of 18 to 24-year-old Males and females are now just cohabitating instead of going through the traditional marriage ceremony. They're just living together. Also, 15% of the 25 to 34-year-olds in that group, they are in the same boat, just decide, well, I'll do my own thing. I don't, I don't have to follow tradition. I don't have to follow God's word. It's, it's right in my eyes, and that's all that really counts. And the sad part about it is, is that 
those numbers are reflected across the board by those who were surveyed. It didn't matter whether they had religious affiliations or not. So there are people that are saying, yeah, I belong to the church, but, you know, I can do my own thing. God's Word really doesn't have too much effect in my life. I can live with my boyfriend if I want to. Times have changed. And no longer is it my, what my mama valued or my grandpa valued. It's what I value in my life. And while traditional marriages have fallen, according to the census, same-sex marriage has been on the increase. In 2008, 7.9% of the gay community were married. However, in 2018, 10.2% of the gay community is married, and that number is going up every year. And that doesn't count the ones that are just cohabitating, living together. The U.S. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, claims to be a devout Christian and yet is a homosexual married to a man named Christian, Christian Giesman. Well, on September the 4th of this year, they became proud parents of twins. And guess what was one of their first dilemmas? They were concerned about how in the world one of them could breastfeed those twins while both of them were male. I mean, what in the world is our world, what, what is our world coming to? They have decided, I can just do whatever's right in my own eyes. The, the Speaker of the House is a Catholic, and she says that it's because of her religion that she supports same-sex marriage and homosexuality and all of the rights that their LBGT community is, is pushing for. She supports all of that as a devout Catholic. However, if you look at the Catholic denomination, their theology says that marriage is to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. So she's out there on her own saying, well, I'll just do whatever's right in my own eyes. Our president, Joe Biden, claims to be a Christian. However, he not only supports, but he promotes same-sex marriage. He promotes all the rights that the gays are looking for, and he supports abortion. Man, and, the, and, and one of the sad parts is, according to the Pew Research Center, and I'll look this up, they're pretty, they're, they're pretty good. I mean, they're, they're, they got a good response. 79% of non-religious Americans, non-religious Americans support same-sex marriage, while 29% of people who say they are Christians support same-sex marriage. And then since 1973 with the Roe versus Wade decision, we have murdered 62.5 million, plus or minus a few, babies in the United States of America. That doesn't include what's going on around the world. That's just here in our country. 62.5 million babies are now in heaven because somebody here in America has decided to murder them. Now the Department of the, the CDC says those numbers have come down in the last few years. But you know what? In my opinion, even one is too many and out of the will of God. And to add insult to injury, church attendance and giving has fallen to an all-time low with hundreds of churches closing every year 
As a matter of fact, in 2019, 2,700 churches in America closed because they had dwindled to a point in time where they were no longer taking up enough money to support their bills and to pay a pastor. And you might be thinking, boy, I'm glad I don't fit in any of those categories. I'm glad I don't do everything that I want to do and that things I think is right in my own eyes. Well, if you're thinking that this morning, you're wrong. Because you see, the problem that Israel had, the problem that America has, is not just that we do these things, but that we are sinners. It's a sin problem. And we need to take care of that sin problem. Maybe you don't support any of those things that I just mentioned. Maybe you're not a murderer. Maybe you don't support same-sex marriage. Maybe you don't support abortion. But you know what? Every time you tell a lie, you're doing what is right in your own eyes. Every time you don't obey your parents, you're doing what is right in your own eyes. Every time you cheat on a test, you're doing what is right in your own eyes. God convicted me of this <laughs> as I was going home last week. I got on the interstate and I was wanting to get there a little bit faster because I, I, I usually go to work at, at uh, around 6 o'clock and I, I knew I was going to be a little late that morning. And so boy, when I got on the interstate, I hit that cruise control and pushed it on up to 73. And I was thinking about this message while I was driving and God convicted me. He said, you're doing what is right in your own eyes. The speed limit says it's 70. And yet you're doing 73. Boy, I had to back that thing down. I had to cut it back down to 70. And yet, zoom, zoom, zoom. You know what I'm talking about. You've been out there on the roads. America's doing whatever is right in their own eyes. And that speeding limit was not put there to harm us. It was put there for our own good. It was put there to protect us because statistics tell us that it's safer to drive at that speed than it is at others. I've been out to New Mexico before where the speed limit on interstate is 80 miles an hour. You can set that cruise control on 80 and choom, choom, people are passing you left and right out there. They're taking, they're doing whatever's right in their own eyes. And so what we need to do and we shouldn't be surprised by this at all. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 8, starting in verses 18. Romans chapter 1. We shouldn't be surprised about this because Paul wrote about these things 2,000 years ago and told us what was going to be happening in the latter days. And I believe we're living there, folks. I believe we're right on the edge. I do not believe that Jesus is sitting on his throne in a recliner, leaned back, drinking a cup of tea or coffee. I believe Jesus is sitting up on the edge of that seat, looking over at his father, saying, Dad, when can I go? When can I go get my church? Because the Bible says that he suffered through a lot of things and he died for the joy that was set before him. Well, you know what? When we're joyful, we want to go and get that, don't we? When we got something that we're looking forward to, we can't hardly wait till it happens. 
And I, I truly believe that Jesus in all of his humanity is the same as, as same as we are. The Bible says he suffered through all of the same things that we suffered through yet without sin. And so Jesus in all that joy, he's looking over at Dad and he's saying, Dad, when can I go get my church? But Paul wrote that in the last days things are going to be bad. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 18 or, or read along with me in verse 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Listen, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're not foggy, folks. There's no gray areas here. They're clearly seen, it says. They're clearly seen being understood by the things which are made. So when someone says, you know, I, I just don't believe in that, I just don't understand it. I heard a guy say the other day, these, these folks that are protesting against Christians today and they tell us they hate God and they hate us because we love God. How can they love, how can they hate something they don't even believe in? So God says right here that they're understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, God says they knew me, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the vile passions or even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with uh, men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. Paul said, these things are going to happen. It's not... You know, this didn't catch God off guard or by surprise. He knew. He's still on the throne, folks. Don't think he's ever stepped off the throne. He's there and he knows. Listen, also turn over, if you want to, to 2 Peter. I mean, not 2 Peter, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Paul wrote a, a passage in there about it also. If I can find it in this little bitty, in this little bitty Bible. I, I normally don't read out of this one. I read out of a bigger Bible. It's got big letters in it. Because I can see it better. But 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, he said, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. 
For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power. And from such people, God says, turn away from them. But Paul said these things are going to happen. These things are going to take place. We can, but, but we need to be prepared for that. Because you see in America that we have no king, and I'm not talking about a, 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 a human being king. I'm not even talking about, the, and I don't know which would be considered. I really didn't do any research on this. But I didn't think about researching who was considered the best, most moral president that we've ever had. I mean, you may have somebody in your mind that you're thinking of. One that comes to mind is Ronald Reagan. I thought he was a very good president. But he may not have been the most moral man that we've ever had. But I'm not talking about we need a king like that. I, we need a king, not just a king, but we need the king. We need the king of kings and we need the Lord of lords. Because he is the only one that can change the path that we're, that we're headed down. And the way he changes that path is one life at a time. I truly believe with all of my heart that when a person gets saved, when a person realizes that they're on the wrong path, that they're without God in their lives, that they're living their own life and doing their own thing, I, and I truly believe when that person gives their life to Jesus, our entire world is changed because that person has changed. No longer are they doing the things that they might have been doing. I'll, I'll use my nephew as an example. At some point in time, and he wouldn't care because... It's part of his testimony, but at some point in time, between the time that he enlisted in the army and he got out, someone in there convinced him that he was gay. And so when he got out of the army and came home, he got to talking to his pastor about it, and his pastor told him that he would be okay, that he was going to go to heaven one day. Didn't matter what he did, he was going to heaven. And so he knew old Uncle Lavelle <laughs> was a preacher, and so he contacted me. I told him, I said, Matthew, I don't know what Bible your preacher's reading out of, but my Bible doesn't tell me that. My Bible says there won't be any homosexuality in heaven. I said, so according to Uncle Lavelle and God's word, son, you need to turn your life around. Guess what he did? He unfriended me on Facebook because I stood for the truth instead of the lie that he had believed. And that Satan was allowing him to believe. But you know what? I kept witnessing to that young man. I kept talking to him. When he moved back to Monroe, where I could be around him a lot, I talked with him on the phone a lot. And guess what happened? He got saved. He got saved out of the homosexual world. He got saved out of the drug world. And now he is a... <laughs> He's not a model citizen by any chance because he's just like me. He's a sinner that's been saved by grace. But you know what? He's a whole lot better off today than he was three years ago. And our world is better off because of him because now he's a positive influence on other people that have the drug addiction problems and the homosexual problems that he went through. He's a positive influence on them. Our world has changed because one boy got saved, one man got saved, 
So I believe every time somebody gets saved, our world is changed forever. And I know that that one person has changed, whether the entire world has changed or not, that one is changed. And so we need a king in America. But you know what? We need more Americans to bow down on their knees, to confess that they are sinners, and to ask Jesus Christ to save them. But how do we get to that point? Well, I'll tell you this from experience. A lost person is not going to tell another lost person how they can be saved. And so that's where we as the church come into action. God has given us the privilege and the responsibility of sharing Jesus Christ and the gospel of, His gospel and His love and His mercy and His grace with those that we live around. You know, I, I'm not a betting man anymore. But if I were, I would bet that there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of people living within five miles of this church that are not saved. And the reason I say that is because in Louisiana, the last church that I pastored, our convention was going through uh, a, a thing, of a program, so to speak. It was a two-year program where the first year your church adopted a five-mile area around your church and the convention would supply you with the demographics of that area. In other words, they would give you a map. They would show you where all the houses were. Uh, they could pretty much tell you whether the folks were going to church or not. And so I, I tried to lead my church into that direction because the first year, all they wanted us to do was drive by each home and pray for that home and that family that lived in that home. Second year, we were supposed to go out and go witnessing into those homes. And I say that there might be thousands of people in this area also because that's how many it was around that church within five miles. There were like 3,300 3, people, I think, that said they had no religious affiliations at all. Much less were they saved because statistics tell us, and Billy Graham said in one of his books that I read that that he figured probably 75% of the church does not have a true one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about a, any specific church. I'm talking about the church in whole. That 75% of those who go to church could be lost. I was talking to an old friend of mine that has been in the ministry for years. I, I don't know if he's still alive today, to be honest with you. Brother Ron, he had been a you know, missionary overseas for several years. He had pastored here in the United States of America for several years, and he and I were talking about this very subject one day. About, And I, I mentioned something about Billy Graham and how Billy had said that the, probably 75% of the church might be lost. And Brother Ron said, you know what, Lavelle, I think it may be closer to 90. By watching people, by seeing how they act, by listening to what's coming out of their mouth, they, they'll tell you what they're watching on TV if you'll sit around long enough to listen. They'll tell you what they're reading if you'll sit around long enough to listen. And you can kind of, Jesus says we can judge them by their actions, by their works. He said oh, probably 90% of the church is lost. But this is where we have to chip in if we're going to see America change. It's our responsibility to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We refer to that as the Great Commission. It was given to the 11 disciples that were left after Judas hanged himself. But it wasn't given just to those 11 disciples. It was given to all of Jesus' disciples. That great commission was given to pastors, but it wasn't given just to pastors. That great commission was given to missionaries, but it wasn't given just to missionaries as we might know them. Because if we're truly a child of God, all of us are to be a missionary wherever we're at. Doesn't matter if we go overseas or we stay right here in the Bristol community, we're to be a missionary. That great commission was given to Sunday school teachers and, and to deacons, but it wasn't given just to them. It was given to each and every one of us as Christians. We've been given the great commission to take the gospel to every creature in the world. Every blood-bought born Christian. And you know something else? It's, it's not just a good suggestion. It, it's actually a commandment. When Jesus said go, that word go there is a word that I can't pronounce. Except when it's in that G-O. It reminded me of Brother Jeremy telling me about Spanish. When I was a junior in my Bible college, before I began to work on my, I was working on my bachelor's degree, I was a junior, I decided, well, it's time to take Greek. And then as a senior, I'll take Hebrew, because they were divided into Greek 1 and Greek 2, which you take one one semester and one the next, and then Hebrew 1 and Hebrew 2. Well, you know, they give you like six weeks to decide if you want to drop the class. Well, at the end of six weeks, I picked up the phone, I said, called Dr. Wallace. I said, Dr. Wallace... What's going on, Brother Vale? I said, well, let me just put it to you like this. This Greek is Greek to me. And I'm just not going to get it. I said, I want to drop it. And I want to start taking Hebrew. He said, son, if the Greek was Greek to you, Hebrew's even worse. So you might as well forget Hebrew. So I just skipped all of my foreign, foreign <laughs> languages there during college. I, I, he just told me it was over my head, and I believed the man. But anyway, this, this word that Jesus says here that is translated to go for us is a word that an officer in the army in Jesus' day would be using as he commanded his men to go somewhere and to do something. And that's the same word that he has used to tell the church that we're to go and do something. The difference is today we've decided that we'll just do whatever's right in our own eyes because we can't see any real consequences like that soldier would have. You see, if that commanding officer in the army told that soldier to go and do something, and he said, nah, you know, I just don't feel like it today. I'm not going to go do that. It's not what I want to do. It's not right in my eyes. That soldier was going to face consequences. In our world today, he might be given a dishonorable discharge. In Jesus' time, that soldier would probably have his head cut off because he didn't follow orders. And yet, it's sad to say I've got one last statistic to tell you. Out of all the people surveyed, and this was a phone survey, 
And the people that were doing the survey, they couldn't look through the phone and see what was going on in the homes. They couldn't look into that person's heart. All they could do was listen, and when they would ask them this question, listen to their answer. 95% of people who claim to be Christian, okay, this is not just your average Joe walking around. This is not some lost person that's in the bars on Saturday night out chasing women till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. No, this is, these are people who claim to be Christians. 95% of them have never, never, not even one time shared their faith with a lost person. And yet Jesus said, go. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we're told that we're to be ready at all times to defend the hope that is within us. In other words, every... Everywhere we go, it doesn't matter what time of the day or night it is, if we run across somebody, we need to be ready to tell them about that hope. What hope? That hope of eternal life, that hope of forgiveness of sins, that hope that we're going to not go through the wrath of God. Because I'm also a pre-trib guy. I believe Jesus is coming back for the church before we enter the tribulation period. Now, we're going to face some tough times. I'm not saying that, but... I'm talking about the wrath of God that's coming on this world during the tribulation period. I believe the church is going to miss that. Why? Because Scripture tells us that Jesus came to save us from that wrath. Why would it say that Jesus was going to come to save us from that wrath if God wasn't going to save us from that wrath? So I believe in chapter 4 of Revelation when Jesus told John to come up hither, I think that's, I don't know what the word's going to be, but Jesus is going to step out on that cloud one of these days and he's going to say, come up hither and we're going to go. My first pastorate was at a little country church. My parsonage was on one side of the road. The church was on the other side of the road and right next to the church was a cemetery. Every morning when I'd come out of my home after Diane would leave to go to work to teach, I'd come out of my home. I'd start over across the road to the office. When I'd get to the road, I'd just stop for a minute. I'd look over to the right and I'd say, Lord, is that dirt going to start flying right now? I'm ready. It hadn't yet, but you know what? It's coming. Because he said he's coming to save us from the wrath that's going to come upon this world someday. So if we're going to see, and I'm closing now. Diane told me there was a little button up here somewhere, a little green light that when it went off, I'd have to quit. <laughs> I, I don't know, Brother Eric and Brother Jeremy, if y'all had to do this, but when I was going to college, when I graduated with my master's degree, they had a preach-off. And I don't know, there were 16 or 17 men in that preach-off that day. We had five minutes. We had to do a five-minute sermon. And they copied. I mean, when you hit five minutes, the buzzer went off. It didn't matter if you was in the middle of the sentence. You had to go sit down. So I don't know if that green light's gone off yet or not. But we need to do business with God if we're going to see America turned around God has given us not just the privilege of being Christians but he's given us the responsibility of being Christians that responsibility being taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors to our family to those that we might not even like you know there may be people that live within five miles of this church that you just don't like they may 
may not be may not be the same socioeconomic class as we might place ourselves. They might have a different color of skin than we have. But you know what? The Bible says Jesus died for everybody. Anybody that would choose him. Now I want to tell you this right up front. I want to be honest with you. Not everybody you tell about it is going to be saved. I know that from experience. I, don't, I couldn't count the number of people that I've shared Christ with that said no. But you know what? I did what I was supposed to do. I can't save them. Only Jesus can do that through the work of the Holy Spirit. But I have the responsibility of taking that message. I, I, I won't ever forget. I won't ever forget one young man in the neighborhood of a church that we were at. His wife came to a revival that we were having. They had two little two little kids. I think they were twins, about four or five years old. His wife came to the revival that week, heard the gospel of Christ, and gave her life to Jesus. Her husband wouldn't come with her. So after about a week after the revival was over, I went to visit them in their home. And I sat there and I witnessed to this young man about Christ. He said he didn't need that. I said, look, I, I mean, I did everything that I thought I could do. I said, look, your wife's going to heaven. Those two little children, if something happened to them right now, they're going to be in heaven. And you're telling me that you don't want to go be with them in heaven for all of eternity? He said, I don't care whether I go to hell or not. And I said, I looked him right now and I said, let me tell you something, buddy. You will care about half a second after you get there. But guess what? It's going to be too late then. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, if you take your last breath today, you're going to go to hell. That's just as straightforward and as truthful as I can be. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, your Savior, here's an opportunity for you to give your heart to the Lord. That you might confess that you're a sinner and believe in your heart that Jesus not only came to earth, that he wasn't just a good man, but he was he is your Savior. And that you would accept that and ask him to come into your heart and save you. You may be here this morning and realize that, hey, I need to repent. I've been doing things my own way instead of God's way. I've always said that, and don't get me wrong, I, I love our church. I love our auditorium. I, I love the, it's just, it's It's beautiful. The acoustics in it are great. The, the structure of it, the, the colors, I like the colors. I've always said every church ought to have to change the carpet on these steps right here about every three or four years because they were stained with tears because we are crying over the lost people in our world today. It tells us in Revelation that when John was told that there was no one in heaven or on earth, who was worthy to open that book, that he cried. I believe John was crying for people that he believed in his heart was not going to be able to be saved because it said that there was no one worthy. And then Jesus was revealed. And he said, oh, there is one worthy. But he cried to begin with. He wept. Our altars ought to have to be changed because we're weeping for our family members that don't know Jesus as their Savior.
They will be changed because we're weeping about our neighbors that don't know Christ as their Savior. They will be changed because they're stained because we're weeping over those that we might not even like or rub elbows with because they don't know Jesus as their Savior. I'm going to ask now that Brother Eric come and close. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. I'm going to ask Brother Eric to come and stand down here in the front that you might come to him. You might go to Brother Jeremy. I'm here. You can come to me if you need to be saved. As a matter of fact, I'm not taking anything away from Brother Jeremy and Brother Eric. They might already do this. But I'll tell you what. I'll make you the same deal that I made my last two churches. When I, if you can catch me up here, I told my last two churches, if you're afraid, if you're timid and shy, that you can't go share the gospel with your family and your friends, your neighbors, whoever that might be, come and get me. Take me with you to them. Don't just send me. Take me with them. Introduce me to them, and I'll introduce them to Jesus. So, like I said, I'm not taking anything away from Brother Eric, Brother Jeremy, they, and Brother Garrett. They might already be doing that. But I want you to know I'm available too. When I got saved, <laughs> my pastor told me that very night when I gave my life to Jesus on December the 8th, 1996 at 7.40 p.m., he told me, he said, I'll see you at visitation Tuesday night. And he began to teach me how to win people to Christ through watching him do it. And so if you need me to go to somewhere and tell somebody about Jesus, you call me. Brother Eric's got my number. I'll go with you. I don't know them, but I love them. You love them too. So what are you going to do this morning? Brother, Brother Rick, as we come to sing, Brother Eric, you close out as you see fit. 154.